Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of apartments. I light up. I call myself a cognac. And I watch the 14 fists of McCluskey. <laughs> what a picture. Yo, homie, that my briefcase? Didn't start asking the right fucking questions. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Grum and Rand. A exclusive One Heat Minute Productions Patreon podcast. Firstly, thank you so much to all of our incredible patrons. And if you are a patron of One Heat Minute Productions... We have a Discord that basically lets the fun keep happening. So it's like the absolutely most physical media, Miami Vice horny, Michael Mann inside Goss <laughs> group chat you could ever hope to be a part of. And everyone who is on that Discord, truly you make my day. Sometimes you actually take me away from other real group chats. Um, so thank you so much. I love all of you guys. Uh, today, I've been uh, an admirer of this person's work for a long time. We have communicated over the internet with, uh, I've observed them on film stage, trivia nights, etc., cinephile game nights around the place. But I'm, I can tell you like the basic and of course, incredibly impressive things. And then I'm going to tell you about how, how we connect. The first is they're a senior a senior editor at Letterboxd. They're the co-host of the Weekend Watchlist podcast. If you're at Cinephile and you don't know Letterboxd, it truly is a <laughs> gift. It's a social media site that hasn't yet gone to hell, um, that hasn't been hacked by Russia, and that isn't taking our data. It's just watching how crazy you are. In fact, you like mining your own stats to look at how much of a lunatic you are with the things that you watch every year. So it's the best. He's a senior editor there. He's a friend of the film stage, writes their very frequently playlist, Little White Lies, Paste. But he's a con oh, they are a conductor and conjurer of great interviews. They are one of the only people that I see online <laughs> write, I wish I could do this and then make it happen. And true, I true. and you can't hate the game. You must love the player because <laughs> I feel like I'm also that kind of person where I conjure something into existence and it happens. They are also one of the most uh, thirsty physical media posters. Uh, I am frequently attracted to <laughs> the glorious collection of physical media they're assembling for themselves. It's, of course, Mitchell Beaupre. Mitch, thank you so much for being a part of a One Heat Minute production. Yeah, I mean, thank you so much. I've been a very big fan for a long time since before we even like started communicating on Twitter. So this is definitely an honor to be here. That was a very lovely introduction. Thank you. I love that you mentioned the um the Cinephile Game Night because that's where I doing a Cinephile Game Night is where I first met Jen Johans, who's like yeah. your BFF, and like that's how her and I connected. Which I feel like in some sort of universal way kind of led to you and I connecting like through that. So yeah, all, just I mean. It, 
it's funny on the watch with Jen that you guys did together because when when the guys did this the string of cinephile game nights, I remember mm -hmm. they were posting them, and we did one. We did like we did a a, a one heat minute sort of adjacent one with a with a crew of people, and then there was obviously you guys, and there was just so many of these great people. The ringer did one like. So when there was that lining up, and obviously because it was during the pandemic, it was like, well, what else are we going to do? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, like <laughs> we're, we're watching this. Like, this is fun. Like, these are all of our people. They're all having fun. Let's see who the biggest, the absolute most lunatic trivia head is. And 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 it's super fun. And so Jen, who is my bestie, like we've got a little separate, um, you know, get, gang of people that we get together and occasionally do game nights with and stuff like that. So it's very fun for us to do that. And it's very fun for me to watch. But yeah, like, I think I got about seven guests out of my uh, out of my first appearance on that. So I think it's it just it happens once you meet your people. It's like, yeah, why haven't we done this? This is crazy. Yeah, totally. And I I've been very I've seen Jen post uh, you and Jen and everybody posting the screenshots of y'all in your own yeah. secret little clubs. I've been very jealous <laughs> of that. I'm trying to get in on one of those. It's it's really good. We've we've been pretty slack on the uh, on doing a, a formal one because everyone's been so busy. But it is a, a an amazing crew. It's you know Jen of course runs it. Um, I'm such a, so blessed to be a part of it. We then have Jordan Harper, a great author, Sean Cosby, best-selling author, Walter yeah. Chaw, Sean Burns, Rob Belushi. Um, it, it, it's, it's Nikki Dolson. Who's another terrific, um, author, Kate Gabriel, who does the great, she designs great sort of, uh, classic hollywood ephemera so th there's an amazing crew that is in there uh in that list uh um that are from all over the place and you've probably heard them on one heat meter productions podcast because oh, i love yeah. them all <laughs> because <laughs> I, they're my crew um so yeah it's uh, i have to thank jen for being the the architect of that but yeah it's 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 the best so we like there's a laundry list of things that we discussed uh that we could potentially talk about. And I think there's mm. probably many opportunities for us to talk about all of them. The list we, we, we landed on two specifically, which will mean that probably a follow-up chat later on, <laughs> but you chose that you wanted to come on down and talk about Jackie Brown. And it's oh, a yeah. film that I didn't realize I was realize I was like intimidated about talking about it until I was literally <laughs> last night watching it. I was like, wow. <laughs> and, and then I also had the discovery. I'm going to have to screenshot it. So I will have to share the screenshot that this morning I look more like Robert De Niro <laughs> as Louis Gara than I have ever looked in my life. And Mitch is like, it's okay. It's a look. Yeah. And I know it's, it's, I know that <laughs> they are being so kind by saying that it's a look because <laughs> I feel every minute of my Louis Gara look right now. But Mitch, can you please tell me? about obviously you know uh, jackie brown i think is a film that maybe you are one of the rare people that would actually statistically see the pulse raise and the reputation raise of this thing during your time at letterboxd because mm. for the longest time jackie brown was dismissed it was mm. cast aside it is like no this is the you know, it's Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown. Everyone's like, no, that's not, that didn't work. No. And then at the arrival of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, everyone was kind of like, no, Jackie, like it's Jackie Brown and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And, and, and then I feel like there's people in our community have said that. Can you talk to me about why 
Jackie Brown really resonates with you and why you wanted to talk about it. Sure. Yeah. First of all, you look great. Uh, um... <laughs> I wasn't fishing. I wasn't. But thank you. I, thank you. Of course. Um, but yeah, that you mentioning the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood thing, I think is really apt because it does feel like Jackie Brown is the Tarantino that for a long time wasn't getting the respect that it deserved. I think that I, like many people, discovered Tarantino when I was like a teenager mm. coming into discovering my like love of cinema beyond kind of the mainstream like movies that are coming out, you know, every week or whatever. And so Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction very early on were two of like my favorite movies. They just opened my eyes to like what cinema could feel like for me. And like it could be so much more exciting and unique and just different than what I was experiencing. But even back then, I saw those two and then basically immediately went into Kill Bills, which were coming out like around that same time. So I was able to like see them in theaters, but I didn't even see Jackie Brown around that time because it just wasn't talked about that much. And so it wasn't until many years later that I was just kind of going through and watching the Tarantino's that I hadn't seen, which was basically just Jackie Brown. (laughs) And like the first time that I watched it, it was like a wave that washed over me just being really impressed by how much it fits with this filmography, but doesn't in some ways. Like it definitely feels more leisurely. It's not as focused on getting you in like right at the moment with that like immediate pulse just getting you racing it really takes its time and it fits yeah so well with once upon a time in hollywood because it just is that kind of like hangout movie that flow that goes along with it so i really loved it when i first saw it but that was like 10 15 or so years ago and it's one of those ones that I've watched many times now and every time that I go back and watch it, I just love it more and more. And probably like the second or third viewing, I was like, oh, I think this is actually my favorite Tarantino movie. (laughs) And then like the fourth or fifth time I was like, oh, I think this might be like one of the five greatest movies ever made. (laughs) (laughs) It's. I was I was trying to like think of what some of the key things for me when I watch it and I completely agree it. It goes easy on you. I don't know if I'm articulating that correctly but it goes easy on you it's not assaulting you Mm -hmm. it's just like come come in come in (laughs) come on in and you're like okay and before you know it it's moving from scene to scene bouncing from character to character doing these little actually some of these more beautiful and like very kind of uh, deliberate cinematic flourishes you know a Mm. toe touching a glass Mm. and 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 bridget fonda's melanie she falls into the couch and the camera does a vertical Mm -hmm. like drop um which is like the most exciting camera move basically of the whole movie but it's like (laughs) it's it's you know little flourishes but and i also just think the cast is so harmon. I was trying to figure out the word that I would use to describe it. I'm just like, they're harmonized because they're Mm. all doing something completely different to one another. They, they are truly an orchestra of different characters that have different vibes, different energy, different cadence, different punctuative gestures. And they all just like seamlessly fit. And it's crazy. Cause it's actually effortless, but it's audaciously effortless. Like it just is effortless. <laughs> and you're like, 
how did he do this? And, and, and I think that patience, um, he finds it later and it comes in fits and spurts. I think, you know, um, we we're talking about all of, obviously you can miss Jackie Brown because it kind of didn't get, it didn't get that like home video rah, rah bump yeah. as some of the others. And Reservoir Dogs gets all these anniversary collections all the time and Pulp Fiction always does. And Jackie Brown has kind of been neglected in that respect. But, um, the, Later on, you see it in like Inglorious Bastards. There's scenes where he just like lets scenes go, yeah, he just mm-hmm. lets them happen. And and then yeah. obviously in Inglorious Bastards, then it's usually a, a bloodbath <laughs> at the end of it. But in this in this movie, it's just like you know someone does something bad and it kind of knows what to do. So yeah, no, it's it's a super impressive movie. Yeah, I like I like you bringing up Inglorious Bastards because I was thinking about it the other day where like this coming after reservoir dogs and pulp fiction like those are movies that just move at such a quick clip like the entire time and there are you see his fascination with like really exciting conversations and just like characters interacting with each other especially in kind of like the opening of reservoir dogs the scenes in the cars in pulp fiction but they feel like everything's really really moving the plot forward like quickly and Jackie Brown really yeah just takes its time within individual scenes of just letting you flow with the characters where you don't need to know like exactly where each scene is going to go how it's going to connect with the overall plot where it's going to go next because you just forget about that and you just like sit with it and it does make me think of I was thinking specifically of the opening of Inglorious Bastards which is like a 30 minute opening that's mostly just Christoph Waltz like at a con you know at a table having a conversation with another guy and like him finding that patience and finding that ability to let himself like sit still for a minute Tarantino and like just let let those scenes play out and that's like one of the wonderful things about him I mean the hateful eight basically is that for almost three and a half hours (laughs) like it's just us sitting in that room with all the characters and yeah I Jackie Brown is so interesting because I was thinking about it this morning that ultimately Jackie Brown has like six seven characters basically and like it feels like such a bigger movie than that but like i imagine if you took the time and like mapped it out there's probably only like 10 15 at the most characters who have lines in the movie period yes and like yeah six or seven of them are like main characters but it feels so expansive it's almost like two and a half hours long or maybe it is two and a half hours long but yeah you just really feel like you get to know every single one of these characters you the harmonizing thing that you mentioned is i think so so on point like they just feel like everybody knows what this movie is and everybody knows what their characters are. And all of those characters are so distinctly different that it makes it feel like such a bigger movie than it is because it doesn't feel like you're seeing the same character in eight different ways, which I feel like so many, like especially ensemble movies, do just have like the same uh, like POV from the writer or director. They feel like it's still just them writing different characters like the same time. But Jackie Brown, every character feels like they are birthed like from themselves. And Tarantino does such a good job of establishing who each and every single one is. So by the end of the movie, you totally understand how every single person is going to react to like scenes to every moment. Like their behaviors are just ingrained within them and you really understand who they all are. You touch on something which is like, you're so right. There's absolutely, this movie has this thing where it's actually what frustrates me about some contemporary movies where you're like, Hey, you spent $200 million and there's like eight characters. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anyone else in this world. Like it's, it's, it's just all 
garbage. I, I like it's it's there's no there's no world. There's no tactile world. And I think mm-hmm. that when you go, you know, Max's office and you go even to um I think it's uh it's Max's office is a, a another fantastic location, but then mm-hmm. just the airport like uh that that great great blue tile at the beginning and the entire the mm-hmm. uh, airport um uh, south of the border then you've got Ordell's house the beach house they do the wonderful crane establishing shots into his house and then the architecture and the um the geography of the house and the way that that's all covered the whiteness and so all these characters just pop 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 and then even Beaumont's cruddy you know tenement building mm-hmm. kind of like ghettoish apartments everything has like a feel and a texture and they all feel so distinct from one another and that you feel, and even the shopping center is like a wonderful classic, like 90 shopping center. It feels so not like feels like being dragged through as a kid (laughs) and being hit, hitting the racks and trying to play around with my mom, like a million years ago, (laughs) it feels like that kind of shopping center. So I think that that you're just right. It's like the, they, they plant these characters in the world and they orient us into all these different moods because of where it's set, but it doesn't, you know, you can still focus on characters, but there's just, I don't know, there's a weird balance, a delicate balance that people could look at this on paper exactly as you were saying and go, look, it kind of, there are only this many characters and it kind of feels like this, but the more you squash it, you suffocate it and then you turn it into something else and it's not the mm-hmm. same. Whereas like the intentional suffocation of something like Hateful, that's, you're just like putting them in a powder keg and you're like, yeah, here we go. <laughs> Let's see if this happens. And obviously it does. But yeah, that's, it's really weird that he can do that. And, and it has, it has something that I think letterbox heads such as yourself and myself have, which is, um, it's just got this amazing, uh, thing that two filmmakers can ring each other on the phone and ask to borrow a character from a shared Mm -hmm. movie and actually make it happen and just defy the entire Hollywood infrastructure and <laughs> contracts and studios. It's like, hey, I have the Ray Nicolet characters in here. I, 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 can Michael Keaton come do my, yeah, Michael Keaton can come do your movie. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, yeah, that's fine. And Michael Keaton just comes and does a Tarantino movie. It's like the coolest thing ever. It's it's um, it's a really special movie. Yeah, God, what a fucking performance from him too. It's, yeah, and oh. it's, that's one of those things too that like as – a younger person i didn't even like connect that like initially until like after seeing it like a- another time or whatever because i'm sure i had seen out of sight when i was like a teenager so like well before i saw jackie brown so then like i saw jackie brown and i'm like this michael keen performance is like so good he is like such a douche but like such like a fun <laughs> douche and like like he is just living it up and then i would like go back and rewatch out of sight and i'm like wait that's like the same guy right and then like <laughs> It's yeah, just reading up like about all of that and like how that came together and Tarantino like basically demanding that Miramax didn't charge. Um, I can't remember who did out of sight, but like demanding that they didn't charge them for using the Nicolette character because he just like was like, Yeah, this is fucking rad. Like, why not? This is so fun to do that. Like, how I mean, can you even imagine that happening these days? The closest thing is the Spider-Man thing with like Sony and Marvel, which is such a huge headache that they've had, I'm sure, a million fucking (laughs) meetings about to like establish the contractual rules around it. I really, I think you just doubt it as like, look, we used to have nice things. We, we, our shared universe used to be Ray Nicolette. Okay. (laughs) You jokers, you don't even know what you missed out on. 
I don't even know that you could have a shared universe between Jackie Brown and Out of Sight, and that was enough of a movie crossover for us. No, you guys okay. just took it too far. They just take everything too far, Mitch. <laughs> Uh, what a time to be alive! What is it? But it just went under the radar. Like there was no, not really much movie internet back then. Like I mean, the trail, True, yeah. the trail, trail blazers had started then. Like the the ain't it cools of the world, the Joe blows. Like uh, you know, dear friend of mine, um, Garth Franklin with Dark Horizons, like ninety seven, ninety eight. Like that's yeah. right then. So like, I mean, I'm sure if you were like super engaged in a, maybe a forum or on those sites, you might have like actually realized, but. You're only kind of like learning and passively embracing that entire um, community. Like it just, it wouldn't have existed, but now it's one of those great fun things for us to talk about. You know, it's, it's, yeah. it's really great. Um, I want to talk about, I've, I've made a note here to talk about the incredible Robert Forster. He is, he's just so good. It, I mean, everyone's so good. Um, I want to talk about Robert Forster. I want to talk about that, but, Actually, like, let's just take our titular character, Jackie Brown, first. Let's talk about sure. Pam Greer. She's amazing in this movie. It is a criminal, like, it, there should be an ongoing criminal investigation how she is not more lauded for this. Because all, yeah. I feel like, under the radar, low-key, every great actor comeback movie, you know, Travolta had it with, uh, you know, Travolta had it with... Uh, uh, Pulp Fiction, and around that time it was like Robin Williams and Goodwill Hunting. There was an right. entire narrative of the industry where like people would do these comeback performances. Obviously, it starts with like The Verdict and Paul Newman. It's like you know, there's these comeback performances. Like your entire career has been this thing. It's been riffing on this energy. But Pam Greer had been a terrific actor, but had starred in all of the the most canonical black exploitation movies of all time. She comes into this movie. And she's acting alongside Robert Forster and Keaton and Samuel Jackson. And she's like, that is the measure of great actors for me is like, put them next to scarily good other actors and see how good they are. You know, yeah. the, 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 the example I always give is watch a scene where Tom Sizemore, who's a great actor mm. is next to Robert De Niro and watch how much he looks like he's quaking in his boots. Cause he really is. And then look at Val Kilmer. <laughs> who is like staring them both down like he's a murderer. <laughs> and you're like, he's good. Like he's yeah. really good. You don't get any of those guys. So it's, it's like you put the best actors together and you see who truly shines. But she's amazing in this movie. And I watch it every time and it makes me mad because I'm like, how is she not a best actress winner, uh, you know, best female actor at the Oscars? How is, how is that not? not even nominated it's like yeah. these are the ones you wish the community uh or the industry rather celebrated and we now that's our job is that we like uh, what were you doing she's amazing in this yeah it's it's fucking demented that like she didn't get more <laughs> i love more that phrasing than... sorry <laughs> fucking demented it is. it is it's like and i feel at times i almost feel bad because my max cherry i think is one of the greatest characters like maybe my number one favorite character in like the history of cinema like i am obsessed with robert forster's performance in this very excited to talk more about it with you when we get to it but like i almost feel bad how much i love him in this because i almost feel like at times i'm doing the same thing of yeah. like where he's the one who got the Oscar nomination for it, when if anybody should have gotten it, if you could only make one person get it, it's Pam Greer because she is the movie. Like she is Jackie Brown. <laughs> yeah. And like, 
she I mean, as much both of them really were coming back from like Tarantino was bringing them back from they had these sparks of relevance in genre films for a while. And then the industry just sort of forgot about them for a while because they were kind of aging out of what Hollywood saw as their usefulness. And then, yeah, I mean, it's you know, people have their opinions about Tarantino. I certainly have some of my like own negative opinions about some of his stuff, but like you've got to fucking respect the way that this guy just brings up like he just casts whoever the hell he wants to cast in these movies and yeah puts Pam Greer and Robert Forster in the leading roles with fucking De Niro in a supporting <laughs> role when De Niro wanted to play Max Cherry and he was like sorry no Robert Forster's playing Max Cherry you can play this other guy instead <laughs> who like doesn't have any lines and like it's it's incredible and yeah Pam Greer I mean she just also, the balls on this movie too to open with that shot of her on the runway or on the whatever the hell you call it. The, the movie. In Australia, we call them travelators, and I don't know if that is actually what they're called. There's yeah, some, that's it's... definitely not what they're called in the U.S. But I don't. There's a word for it. But people have seen. If you're listening to this podcast, you've seen the movie. I assume it's like an so... esca- like an escalator that is flat. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's like a conveyor belt for humans. That's what conveyor it is. Conveyor belt, conveyor belt. Yeah, that feels that feels like the most accurate thing. I'm sure there is a technical word for it, but yeah, she's she's on that conveyor belt, and like it is a stunning opening. We are just observing this gorgeous woman who hasn't gotten the spotlight in a movie in so long, and just like soaking her in. He just lets us like sit with her, appreciate the fact that we are seeing her in a movie her character has the title card that's coming up we're just watching her across 110th street is playing like it's so just incredible and then <clears throat> the like the guts to then have her just disappear for the first like 30 minutes of the movie after that as we're establishing everybody else and then she comes back in and you feel like she never left like you don't ever feel like she is not around throughout the entire movie after that too, you know, scenes with Jackson and De Niro, you still feel the presence of Pam Greer over it. Like, you know, that Jackie Brown is there. She is the one, you know, manipulating all of these schemes. So like everything that you're seeing with other characters, you know, that they are kind of within the world of what Jackie Brown is constructing. And I think that that would not be nearly as effective if you didn't have somebody with, the stature that Pam Greer has when she just shows up and like dominates every single scene that she's in, she makes these guys look like they're putty in her hands. <laughs> and like they're guys who, you know, have the guns and the guns and the badges and the guns and the machine guns. And like she has every reason to be afraid of all of these people. But so many times throughout the movie, she just has these moments where she's like, you know what? I'm sick of living this life that I'm living in. Like I'm sick of having these people dictate what my life is going to be. So like now's my time. Now I'm going to take ownership of this. And you can definitely see the parallel there between like that and what Tarantino's giving her the opportunity with for her performance here. And she, she shows the hell up and does not, you know, let that slip. Yeah. She's like, don't, you know, fuck around and forget. Like, <laughs> yeah. like That's the whole energy. And what I also love is I wouldn't say that some of the male characters are complicit in the game, but like, I love Michael Keaton, like uh, Michael Keaton and Robert Forster as Max and Ray both have these moments where they kind of feel like they are being played and they're kind Mm -hmm. of like, I don't know if I don't trust her, if I don't trust myself with her. (laughs) And I love not knowing, like really not actually knowing whether 
where whether I know where to land with where they are, but I I totally agree. It's the the structure is just effortless because you kind of need to get to know the the peccadillos of all those other characters, and then once you bring them back together, you've kind of already seen how they've interacted, and that's the kind of genius because you're like, oh well, man, Ordell is crazy. Can't mess mm-hmm. with Ordell, and Lewis is a bit. <laughs> bit kooky and then you're like and oh and max is great like max is super switched on so when you put jackie in that's the great dramatic tension is like jackie can't just play these people as pawns and then when she starts putting the chess pieces on the board you're like oh okay yes she can she's even more yeah. formidable than i thought but yeah let's let's go back to Robert four so i i you know sometimes people miss what's staring right in front of their face with a pam greer but i think with robert forster it's a it's a frequency that he is on as this character that is just insane. Like yeah. from the first sentence he says, you're like, oh, maybe this is one of the best performances ever. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. just, and, and I would even argue De Niro is, uh, 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 De Niro's Lewis is one of his best. We'll get to him, but let's it's, go to Robert yes, Foster so as Max Sherry. Yeah. Let's, he's, he's spectacular in this movie. Yeah, I, I adore... Robert Forster. Um, I'm a huge fan of just his entire oeuvre. Medium Cool is like such a fantastic movie. I love him in Vigilante and Alligator. And like it is so exciting to see him back here. But then also like he brings in this weight of his experience with it. And I feel like you can tie it to even just thinking about his hair in this movie. He's got these... (laughs) these the garish uh hair plugs going and he has like the awareness and the truth within himself to have scenes where he is comfortable acknowledging that and that's like part of the character and that's something that Forster like if you've seen alligator like his hair is thinning so severely in alligator <laughs> and he is the one who came up with the idea in that movie to have supporting characters calling out his character on the fact that his hair is thinning so like this is a guy who just kind of is comfortable in his skin like knows who he is and just lets that hang out and i think that that's exactly what max cherry is and it's part of why you immediately feel like you can trust him even though he is you know i mean he's a guy who's doing kind of like he's not law enforcement obviously but is sort of like on that side like he has to you know track people down so he's like a little bit you know, it's like a little bit a cab but not max cherry but like he's not <laughs> like a cop cop but like it's it's just i mean that scene where his his introduction to jackie brown is like a reintroduction of jackie brown into the movie and then also like just seeing the fact that Tarantino has the intelligence to have it all framed through his perspective in that scene. And we see his face and he's not doing a ton, but you see this dude just falling in love with this woman. The second that he sees her and like the, the songs, I can't remember the name of the song, but the song's playing a natural, natural high by bloodstone is playing. And it's like, it's just a moment where, you know, everything that this guy is feeling and it's almost the, the complete, counter to what you were saying with Jackie Brown, where with Jackie Brown, you don't know what's going on inside of her head. And that's part of the excitement of it. And it balances so well because with Max Cherry, he is just heart open on his sleeve the entire movie. You know exactly what this dude is thinking. You know that he is so smitten with her, but he also is like so smart. He's he maybe is getting played a little bit, but also maybe like kind of knows that she's playing him a little bit and is 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply cool with it because he's just like falling for her and he's also realizing more and more that he's sick of this life that he's living and you know sitting in houses all night that smell like piss with his taser waiting (laughs) for like a guy who jumped bond to get home so he can like take him back to prison like he's just kind of sick of dealing with the Ordells of his life like Ordell comes into his office and like that's you know one of those early scenes and with his Raptors bag with $10,000 cash and like Max Sherry <laughs> knows what the fuck is up but he's just like this is kind of my place in life that I've established and like I'm just going to keep going through the motions and then Jackie Brown awakens something in him and yeah I just feel like he I don't know. He just captures everything about that. And you just love watching him so much. But I don't know. I mean, tell me more about your feelings on, on Robert Forster and this. I've been going on forever. No, I, lo- I love what you've been saying. I've been letting you go. That's what I just wind <laughs> up Mitchell and just let him go. With that. Let, him, let him go. Um, what I would say is. I, I, I love watching Robert Forster interact with Jackie because it's where he's unguarded. Because yeah. I love that Raptor bag, the first Raptor bag scene, because you can just <laughs> see on his face. I, I also love in movies when they do this, it's just a really smart thing. It's like someone ignoring the living daylights out of like someone being on the phone. Like Ordell mm-hmm. doesn't wait in the waiting room. He walks up to his desk, <sighs> smokes like, a cigarette. When he lights the cig, he lights man. The cig <laughs> and then he's just there and he's having a conversation with Lewis and he's on the middle of a call going, keep your son there. Like he's doing his job. They should be out in the waiting room. And I just love that Odell just like has no time for the the general cordialities. And so everything's going, he's like, I've seen everything here. I'm just going to do this. This is not, uh, this is not something that I haven't seen before, but Mm -hmm. it's actually for me, the next scene, it's the Mm -hmm. next Odell scene when he comes back after Beaumont is Mm -hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. And Odell is like, Yo, I just used the money I gave you before. And that's where I think Max Cherry is like the most Max Cherry in the movie. He's like, oh yeah, you cool. So you just saved yourself $10,000. Yeah. Yeah. By murdering this kid, getting him out and murdering him. And that's where the actual, it's just, I feel like that's like the, the fulcrum of Max Cherry. Cause it's like, Oh, I, I know that some of these characters that bail these people out aren't exactly the nicest folk. Maybe they don't have the most legitimized <laughs> businesses. Mm-hmm. But I think that when he sees that, there's like this complicit feeling like, oh, I I did that. Yeah. I did mm-hmm. that. 
And then everything from then on is, you know, when he's smitten with Jackie and then she says that she's going to go on and turn on Odell. And I think that there's a protectiveness is like, I don't want to see that happen to someone else. And then it's like, and then it becomes about justice and it becomes about a new life. It becomes about a new road that you can take, mm-hmm. a, new, a new path. And and so I, I'm just so, I, I just, I, I'm all about being, being a character being able to convey so much without having to say it or convey how they're feeling about something when they're having like a very, because I'm sure that, you've had this experience. I've had this experience where you can just tell a character and they're having a conversation about getting a coffee or they're having a conversation with their mechanic or they're having a conversation about something. And you just like, that's how you get to know people is how they're interacting with other people. They don't have to be saying, this is how I feel. Like no one sits around and goes, this is how I feel. And people get to know them. (laughs) It's that they're communicating. And I, I love that they just trust that the, the core of this guy will come through in how he interacts and how he does his job. And he's just effortless. And the other thing that Tarantino does in a more stylistic way than other filmmakers have done is he just gives in his frame, in his very framing, he just gives Robert Forster the platform to kill. Mm-hmm. He just like gives him like <laughs> these great little pushing close-ups or just like a two shot will change angles and we'll get much closer on his face and watch just very expressive, like processing of information in his head. And then he'll go, okay. And then he, he just gives him these great moments. Just goes, here's a layup for you to yeah. just <laughs> out of this scene. And so that's what I'm impressed with is that not only is it so the character is so deep, he gets the character. There's great dramatic tension, even if it's sort of, under the surface, but it's then also those great choices that Tarantino makes as an, as a director is that those, those, that's where the sort of very subtle style comes in is like that moment mm-hmm. where he chooses to take you from like a wide or a medium into a close up. It's all about like, how does this actor's performance pop and punctuate this entire scene, this moment? It's just, it's building to this mini crescendo in every scene. And so many of the crescendos in this movie are just Robert Forster sitting there staring someone down, (laughs) knowing something else that they don't know or like pretending like he doesn't know what they're talking about, but he really does. Um, And so that's where I just go that it's all about how understated it is for me. And just, it just breathes. It just leaves the guy exists. That's the other thing. It's not, it doesn't have to be naturalism necessarily, but I I feel like I know the guy. So I think that's, what's so special about it. Yeah, I think, you know, and like with the the understatedness of what they do with Max Cherry, the my favorite scene in the movie is him coming back to Jackie the night after he bails her out after she has a confrontation with Ordell and everything. And then they have that conversation just sitting at the table having coffee and she puts on the Delphonics record mm-hmm. and he's like, what is that? And like that, that conversation is just so beautiful. Just two like grown ass adult human beings talking about being grown ass adult human beings. And like, very, with, with the way I, with the way I look on this zoom video, very relatable grown-ass <laughs> adult, having grown ass adult conversations. It's, I mean, it's, it's such like a beautiful moment of like acknowledging your station in life and the fact that like at whatever age you are you can't like you can change your life whenever the hell you want and like Mm -hmm. you don't have to be stuck in that rut but the beauty 
the thing that I really love is later on, so they have the Delphonics moment and then later on, like several scenes down the road, like you could, Tarantino could have played this as like a little bit moment where she puts on the Delphonics record. He's like, what is that? She says the Delphonics. And then it just cuts immediately to him at the, you know, record store picking the cassette and playing it. And it's like a funny little beat. But instead that whole scene plays out. Like we hear the record playing as they're having this lovely conversation together. And then several scenes later, He's at the record store going. We just take the time sitting with him going through, you know, to the cassette wall, going down the Delphonics tapes, picking out the Delphonics tape, putting it in his car radio and then just listening to the song that she was playing for him. And it's like he he's not saying anything. We don't need it conveyed to us in words or anything. Tarantino just knows that if we're paying attention and we're watching the movie, we get that he wants to play the song that makes him think of her and like yeah. makes him think she's of that his, moment and that conversation. And it's so mind. beautiful. And that's exactly like that idea of us knowing who these people are and knowing that they're real human beings. I feel like that's something that like everybody can relate to that idea of like you having certain connections to certain songs or albums or whatever. And then like that making you think of, you know, that night when you were a teenager and you listened to like some album, like playing in the background while you were like talking to like your first love, like all night long and like just remembering that conversation. And then you play whatever that album was, you know, 20 years later and you still just remember that moment. And like, I feel like in his face, Robert Forster conveys exactly that, like that he is just in love with this woman, like over the moon, she's awoken something in him and he's playing that, you know, track to remind him of her. And then later there's a scene where fucking Ordell's in the car with him <laughs> and the Delphonics are playing and it like totally undercuts our connection with that song and what it means because Ordell's like, you like the Delphonics? And he's like, yeah, they're great. And it's like, it just has a, such a different tone to it. It's almost like a kick in the shins <laughs> in that moment in the movie, hearing that song coming back. It's just such smart playing out of like just taking one song and playing it in such different ways, using it in such a smart way over the course of the movie. Yeah, because... The first is all about the connection. The second is about how she's on his mind, which is beautiful. And then the third mm -hmm. is like the last thing that Max wants Ordell to be thinking about in the world is Jackie Brown. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is Jackie's song. Like it's shit. Um, and also this is another thing that we've lost is I remember doing this with, you know, some of my best guy friends, my first loves is like, there's something so cool about even when it was CDs mm -hmm. um, or cassettes of you just someone going, playing a song and you're like, what is this? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, you know, I have a distinct memory about a band called Gomez. And I was like, what is this? Yeah. My friend was like, oh, it's Gomez. It's really good. And I go, huh? And then like a couple of days later, I went to a record store and I went <laughs> and found, and I did that. And I'm only just realizing it now, but I did that. And I went home and listened. <laughs> And my girlfriend at the time was like, what is this? I was like, oh, it's a band called Gomez. I heard my friend play it. And she goes, and you went yeah. and bought the album? And I was like, yeah, like it was just sounded great. I just, I wanted to know what it was and I went and got it. And now oh, yeah. we can just do it instant. What is this? Like, oh, it's, you know, Shazam or whatever it's called. I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> Shazam it. It's all the romance is gone. All of the excursion, yeah. all of the, like the sitting with it and it being in your memory and you're not actually knowing what it is. And like, what, what was that thing I'm thinking about? But yeah, no, yeah. you're so right. It's that I, I had forgotten about the, the three times that that song played, like in my memory, like 
the passive remembrance that you have of or of like or some of your favorite movies that you just like watch every year. Mm-hmm. Like I forgot about the third one. And when you mm-hmm. were like, like last night, I was like, oh, that's good. Like I'd actually just kind of like missed it. I was like, oh, that's so good. Like I'd forgotten <laughs> how good that is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's terrific. Um, we've, I really want to talk to you about, I mean, it's almost hard to do with both of them. It's like Bridget Fonda, Robert De Niro. They have one of the coolest relationships I think in any Tarantino movie. And I just have to praise cause you know, I've spoken about Mr. De Niro so many times, but man, this role is good the stones on him to just waltz into this movie and be the foil and be the, I don't want to sit in a bail bondsman's office because I've already been in prison for four years of bank robbery. Mm -hmm. So it's not fun for me to sit in this office and just the, the straight man to Ordell's big, loud, gregarious, you know, constant talker. It's so underrated as a pairing. It's so underrated. And then when you see him with his like anger and ferocity and his inadequacy with, you know, uh, with Bridget Fonda's Melanie, just like picking at him, picking at him constantly. Um, I, I think it's just really, it's a completely special performance. And I think it was in that purple patch of his career really um, uh, that he, he delivered some amazing performances. And I think it kind of it went under the radar for so much of it, I feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and it's <clears throat> a performance that I think I even underrated, you know, plenty of times the first couple of times that I watched the movie because your attention is drawn so much more to Robert Forster, Samuel L. Jackson, Pam Greer, even, you know, Michael Keaton, even Prisha Fonda, honestly, like De Niro is playing it the most like cool and kind of even and just like understated not understated because it's it's like in a more comedic register in a way. Yes. Like Forster is like understated, but like it's yeah him just not feeling the need to be the star of the show which is crazy because it's robert de niro in the middle of the 90s like this is a guy two years removed from fucking heat and casino (laughs) in the same year and he's like yeah i'll play the fifth you know lead of this movie like and it's just so chilled out it's such a funny performance the the opening like seed with them where he he's at ordell's place they're watching what is it like chicks who kill or chicks with guns or <laughs> whatever with it's guns. called I, I, it's so it's so silly i, I also i love movie i love like silly videotapes or movies that yeah. are in movies and tarantino and, and and his peer group have all like had fun with like going and making trailers but i always think of like surely then Tarantino or some second unit had to shoot chicks with guns. <laughs> yeah. Like that's the thing that now this is the film critic in my head is like, <laughs> I go, someone had to shoot that man. That's funny. I wonder if yeah. you could watch the whole video. Like, I wonder if the whole video exists. It's on, it's on the Blu-ray. It's on it the is, Blu-ray oh of Jackie Rowe. I must have like a crappy Australian Blu-ray version. Cause I don't have it. <laughs> it's not on our, it's not on our release. I'm going to have to go and source a better Criminal. version. Oh my God. Criminal. So funny. Yeah. Oh my god! But yeah, the the dynamic between him and Samuel L. Jackson is like all time, and especially coming off of Pulp Fiction, where like mm. you have that iconic dynamic between Samuel L. Jackson and John Travolta, and you like expect this could just be the same thing, almost like two guys who are like very cool, just being really cool guys and like doing their thing and having those kind of conversations. But like they, De Niro and Jackson do have 
these like conversations but like De Niro is just so chilled out and like does not give it he just wants to fucking get high and like <laughs> he's just like cool for whatever like C.O.L. Jackson's like yo if you're gonna be in on this with me here's a dead body in my fucking trunk like if you're gonna be in like you're in and De Niro's just like yeah all right whatever like <laughs> Let's uh, let's hang out, I guess. The and the the uh the sex scene with him and Bridget Fonda is like that's an all timer. The two of them together, she's so good. My favorite, I think my favorite scene, other than, I mean, other than him fucking killing Bridget Fonda, like that. That's unreal. That it's, whole the whole way that plays out. It's it's unreal because it's the first. So, uh there's a moment where you he's so chill for the entirety of the movie and he's yeah. so relaxed and every moment it just like doesn't fa- you want to you want to fuck yeah everything's just like <laughs> yeah like it's just kind of bewildered that you're like you do have yourself asking for a brief second and you know he's reliable because obviously he does this really hectic thing to cover up Beaumont's body for Ordell but yeah. um uh, to help him dispose of it rather but you kind of go, how did this guy get caught? You know, how did he go to jail? <laughs> yeah. Because he seems to be the coolest cat. Like, so, man, you want under pressure because nothing seems to phase him. But then you see how Melanie gets under his skin, but Fonda <laughs> is just so good. So good. She's astoundingly good at nagging and making you doubt yourself, like, just picking at his self-doubt and he like all the things you just like, I see you, I see you, 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 you are, you try and mask this cool, but it's the, I see something. She just like picks at the thread until like it's gone. And excuse me. So when you see it all go to hell and it not work, you're like, Oh, this guy does crumble under the pressure. I understand why he went to jail. Cause he probably made a really bad decision and, <laughs> and, got, and, and he got there, but that's also like a great slow burn of those things. And, and it's also, everything is under, like, even though the comedic beats that he's a part of, he's still kind of not reacting. Yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. a comedic beat. He's, there's no wink. Like, I love that. It's like, this is funny. Just enjoy how funny it is. Like how weird would it be? I mean, I know it probably wouldn't happen. Maybe it would happen with our friends, but like, it's so weird to go to a friend's house and watch chicks with guns. Like it's the weirdest <laughs> thing of all time. It's just like, he could be talking about the business, could be sitting out in the balcony, looking out to the beautiful beach, but instead of inside watching chicks with guns, like it's so, 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 so funny. Um, yeah. But yeah. That scene, man, it's wild. Like, the Bridget Fonda, the Bridget Fonda sex scene is wild. Bridget Fonda as a character is wild. Like when she gets up and goes, hello, it's for you and puts the phone down and you're just like, oh my God. Oh my God. That's so fucking fun. So, Such a great beat. She's, oh, yeah, she's so, so good. Fun. She's just on fire. And then just everything that happens, it's like, she's, she's trying to, she's trying to mix the powder keg in that place. And it's like, how has she not pissed off Ordell for him <laughs> to kill her? That's the other thing by the end of the movie. Like, how has she not pissed him off already? Because she's she's crazy. She's absolutely yeah. crazy. But she's just fantastic. You know, and now she's like, this is one of her last movies, right? Like, one yeah, of her yeah, last yeah. big movies. Because she basically just was like self-imposed retirement. And she Yeah, just, it was like a simple plan the year after this. Oh. And then, like, pretty much just like, yeah. And, and yeah, it's I mean, criminal. Like, seeing that's one of the that's one of the exciting things about revisiting the movie too is like not like seeing her and then also seeing again back to pam green and robert forcer and the fact that like 
Robert Forster obviously got like his second wave of his career after this because he was able to get, you know, the Breaking Bads and, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of part in so many similar movies where he is, you know, just this like cool, like older state, like elder statesman who's like been in the know of like the crime scene or whatever. And but it's it's always in like those kind of small supporting roles. He doesn't get the spotlight like this. And Pam Greer definitely doesn't get like she does the Carpenter movies like mm -hmm. she has stuff. She's still working, but like it's just beyond belief that people could watch Robert Forster and Pam Greer in this and not be just offering them leading roles on a silver platter for decades after this. Like it's, it's so frustrating, especially like Forster gets the Oscar nomination. This happened. I feel like this happens all the time with like actors, especially supporting actors in these kind of roles. They get that love that like career nod. like, Oh, we've always loved you. You know, we, we really, you know, love giving you this award for this year and you can do all of the, all the award shows, give all the speeches, like we're you're back, you know, you're in it. And then they disappear again, pretty much. Or they get, you know, the next wave that's like, like Chiwetel Ejiofor for 12 Years a Slave is one that I was just talking to my friends about the other day where like, yeah. he's such a great actor, was doing so much good work in movies like Dirty Pretty Things and even like supporting roles like Children of Men and Inside Man and stuff before that gets the the stature with the Oscar nomination for 12 Years a Slave. And then three years later, he's the fucking like third tier bad guy in Doctor Strange. <laughs> like, what are we doing? What, and, and exactly. The Children of Men, Inside Man, double feature. It, that's why Steve McQueen hires him. Because yeah, it's exactly. like, oh, look, this guy can do anything. And it's, it's exactly. like... That, that, then you start to look at the entire infrastructure and you're like, yeah, well, there's only so many Spike Lee's and Alfonso Cuarón's and uh, Cuarón's and Steve McQueen's that are making movies. Like, we're going to just, just keep hiring all these great people and yeah. they just don't get the opportunity. But no, the the thing with Robert Forster, it's the lesson, the lesson wasn't learnt, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, other than Breaking Bad, I think Breaking Bad did a great job, but it's just like, yeah. they also get him to be this elder statesman guy, but he's the, he, they're off. He's often a cardboard cutout. He's given so little screen time to deliver any kind of like he's played sometimes is like let's just call him like bad corporate you know bad cop bad like <laughs> government representative in so many movies like he where he's like he, he purports to be good and then he's bad and it's like they don't give him any time to simmer they don't yeah. give him any time to establish himself as like a good person to establish trust and then like you know um then go all betrayal on them like that's that's the role that he was screaming out for in his later career and pam it's just like there are there are not enough movies. There are not enough movies for extremely talented African American women that get yeah. funding, and you know she she would have to be like, she would have to like get shot out of a cannon in uh, <laughs> in, in, in in like a bridesmaid sequel or something. Like it would just it would just be something <laughs> so ridiculous and demeaning, and you totally get why she's like, no, I'm good. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. I I it, it, this movie stands as a testament to how you have great you can have all these great people and they can do this phenomenal work and people just do not they don't understand they can't they can't unpack why it's good um and then later on every filmmaker who came up after it is like this is an amazing movie and i'm aspiring to do this and they want to yeah. do it but they can't copy it it would be too rote for them to copy <laughs> and do it but the other one little shout i want to give is like i love chris tucker Chris Tucker just like yeah. popping in for like so five good. minutes as Beaumont. He's fantastic. It's an amazing scene. He's just in there. He rocks and he walks out the door. It's just so good. Yeah. And it's, it's such a good moment too of exactly that thing of Tarantino just taking his time with, you know, a scene because when Ordell shows up 
like we kind of already have this sense from him that like he's gonna kill this guy like you know he can't trust him and then as the scene's kind of playing out more and more we get the sense more and more that like oh he's definitely gonna kill this guy he's literally persuading him to get in his trunk and like i'm and too, then, but i was too naive mitchell when i first watched <laughs> this you know like because i was i was i was like you were around similar ages so v8 you know vhs was my means mm-hmm. of seeing reservoir dogs and pulp fiction and then it, i don't even think it really played that jackie brown played that bigger run at cinemas but then it was vhs and so i'd watch that and because it's a much slower movie and more deliberate it kind of felt like it was malevolent but he was also so damn cool like he's like a, in all yeah. white and then he's in all black and i'm like you know yes he's wearing all black so it kind of feels like he's going to murder someone just because movies have taught us that language but i was so like shot when he shoots him yeah i was like oh shit <laughs> like I, I i was like no he can't kill him it's like they've just a stat like we've had all these conversations he's not going to do this bang 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 and you're like wow and now i feel silly because like that's the way that it obviously plays out and it conjures all this imagery it's telling you that he's going to go kill him like <laughs> five, five minutes and that's the artfulness of the conversation it's like this yeah weird yeah. passive oh it's okay but i remember that time like going oh i, I didn't actually see that coming um the first <laughs> time but now it's like oh, so obvious like Odell feels like he could that's why i'm surprised that bridge of finders melanie's alive because i'm surprised he didn't lose his <laughs> Yeah, I think it does speak too about like the again, just like a credit to how leisurely the film is that you're not really like predicting what's going to happen next. Mm. I think even something like again, comparing it to like the hateful eight, like the hateful eight is such as you said, like a powder keg that you spend a lot of that movie, especially the first time you're watching like predicting what's going to happen in the next scene, like what's about to happen. Like you're just waiting for shit to pop off. But like Jackie Brown, it just lulls you into this like beautiful state of just being able to go with the flow of whatever it is. So when moments like that do happen, these like little flashes of like violence or like action or whatever, it really does catch you off guard, which is how it should be. Cause that's probably more, you know, realistic to how it is like in real life. And I think it's, it's so, it's such like a fun just experience to, to sit with it and sit with these characters it's like the most like one of my ultimate like with like oceans 11 like kind of like mm-hmm. my comfort movies like i just can put it on anytime this is already i think the third time that i've watched it this year like watching <laughs> it again this week for this and i'm probably gonna watch it again in like a month um so like it's it's just like one of those movies that i could put on absolutely whenever and just chill with and i love that well i love this conversation me too. Thank you so much for coming and chatting. Thank you for wearing a glorious inherent vice <laughs> hat. It's beautiful. Um, and thank you for all of your support. You've been so um, gracious. Uh, and uh, I think the phrase is like gas up your mates. You know, that's an yeah. Australian mm-hmm. phrase of like gas up your mates, like when they're doing stuff that, you know, you like. And um, I just want to say thank you because you're always so gracious and you're always um, sharing all of all of the stuff that we do and you're always so encouraging and i just want to say it's immensely uh it's it's immensely great to finally properly chat with you but i've been uh, observing you from afar and uh your uh your conjuring of uh interviews is legendary <laughs> so keep dreaming for the most massive interviews possible and then that will eventually come and we will eventually read the living daylights out of it at it is mitchell is where you can find them Mitchell, is there any other uh, big stuff that you want to shout out at the end of this uh, Roman rant? And um, uh, before I make you promise that you come back for us to talk about other stuff. 
No, I mean, first of all, definitely, definitely coming back. Thank you for having me. Like, this has been a really lovely conversation. Um, I've been, yeah, like I said, like a huge fan for a long time. Like every gassing up I do is so genuine, <laughs> like not just because I consider you a friend, like because I like genuinely am in all of your work. Like I listen to like pretty much everything you drop out. Like it's really just like, I can't, I can't believe like how steady your output is and the fact that all of it is still like such a high quality um like oh, i just so yeah this you. is such a privilege um but yeah before before we wrap i do just want to give a shout out to elmore leonard we didn't really talk at we all about even elmore about leonard, leonard <laughs> but see, every, see how every good this movie every... is we went for like an hour <laughs> and we didn't mention elmore leonard of course i have to, I have to mention him every credit that we are giving to the characters like so much of it is like this is a pretty like straightforward adaptation more or less with a like, few things shifted obviously like the race of the main character and everything but like like so much of the greatest of this movie and again the the out of sight that we referenced you know yeah. earlier like credit to elmar leonard this part of why this movie works so well is because it feels like such a great symbiosis of tarantino and elmar leonard's like voices being put together so before we wrap i did want to just no, quick shout you. out to elmar leonard we just so <laughs> and also for you Film fans out there, you know, Tarantino has been very, uh, very committed to this 10 film thing. Mm -hmm. Once upon a time in Hollywood, he's being his ninth. And he's like, you know, this is my kind of pièce de resistance. He's dabbled with like, do I just make an adaptation next or something like that and make something? Do a Star Trek. <laughs> do a Star he said, do a Star Trek. The one that I actually heard on a, one of the Ringer shows was he was like, I would love to make First Blood like the novel. And, uh, and th he mentioned two things. He was like, I'd get Adam driver to play John Rambo and I'd get Kurt Russell to play the town sheriff. And I'm like, give him the money yeah. right now. But why are we not doing that? Why aren't we doing that? But in amongst the news, because, um, I think he had such a fun time working with Tim, Timothy Oliphant on once upon a time in Hollywood and they're redoing, um, uh the justified yeah the justified tv series uh there's been talk of him like getting involved and writing some scripts and and those sorts of things so i don't know how much of that is apocryphal or how much it's like because you never know like he's a busy guy he's yeah his podcast he's now doing his speculation <laughs> book, book you know he's so who knows how busy he is or, or you know it's really hard to gauge um but yeah i think that I would love to see him um, more directly collaborate with Leonard because that would be super fun because they're, you know, they're the fusion of their energies. Um, and, and actually, I think Tarantino adopting and embodying and seeing how Leonard's prose just trusts the reader and then the yeah. audience to like live with the characters a bit longer. I think that that was a great thing that he adopts. And then like, you know, it crescendos in things like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because it's just like you are just with them. And none of the action action in quotation marks happens in this movie for such a goddamn long time, but it's just a hang for the entire, you know, for the entire thing. So, um, yeah, look, look at us forgetting Elmore Leonard right till the end, but that's okay. We got there. Uh, we got there. We got, um, we got there. Any other stuff? Um, I don't want to miss that opportunity. Any other cool stuff that you've got coming up that you can share? Um, yeah, I mean, Letterboxd, um, check out Letterboxd <laughs> if, you, if you're not aware of it <laughs> um, all right like check, check out the coolest the actual coolest social media which is letterbox like i mean i mean i know you and i frequent twitter a lot and twitter can be a either a cesspool or like the best and i i, I yeah. tend to i tend to have 
I tend to maybe it's just all the people that I follow or don't follow that I'm having yeah. usually a really good time on Twitter. Um, but Letterbox is the best. It's it's yeah. it's a ter- it's a terrific service, um, and uh, it's it's always getting better. And I and the more people that you can prompt to to get on there, and 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 this is like the last couple of years I've actually been so much better because sometimes I go like months and I'm really good and then I forget to log stuff and I've been the mm-hmm. worst. But I'm like, no, I need to. <laughs> I need to keep this on point. There's so many movies that I end up watching in a year because of like our Imprint Companion podcast and those other things. So I'm like, yeah. I have to make sure I keep a log of everything that I'm doing so I can check it out. But look, yeah, thank you so much. Um, we're going to chat again. I won't say what it is because we actually have a list of, I think Mitchell gave like 13 films. <laughs> so I won't say what any of the others are yet. I'll just tease to say that, um, you know, there's some really terrific ones and some ones that I haven't had a chance to talk about yet, which I'm super excited about. So you're the best, man. Thank you You're so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.